0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two, talking about 3D imaging, when is it necessary. And we ended last time by using this quote from article by Karen Horton, talking about that there are many diagnostic errors that all of us make that tend to be repetitive. And when we look carefully at the errors, often many of them are avoided if you look at things beyond the axial plane. And let me just share a couple examples. This is a case I've shown before of a patient with a suspected carcinoid tumor. The patient had about four or five scans that were read as negative, all done elsewhere. Of course, if an error is made, it's always done elsewhere. But if you look really carefully at the data set, you see some very bright structures in the patient's small bowel. Now, perhaps you think it's something in the bowel, but when you look more carefully, and I take this to coronal, you in fact see it a bit better. And if you take it to MIP, you in fact see it better and you see more of them. And you quickly realize you're dealing with multiple small, three to five millimeter vascular lesions in the small bowel in the ileum. And if I take the bone away, you can even see it better. These were multiple small carcinoid tumors. There were 35 or 40 small carcinoid tumors present. And so imagine you missed 35 or 40 tumors. They're so obvious here, but think about the original axial images. They weren't so obvious. Or with this example of a carcinoid duodenum. I'm giving you the image that shows the lesion, but even then it's hard to see. If I put a magic circle around it, it's a little easier to see, but look how small that lesion is, but look how obvious that lesion in truth really is. That's a small carcinoid tumor in the duodenum, third to fourth portion of duodenum. Now, I will admit, I didn't quite catch it right away on the axials, But I did catch it right away on the 3D images, because on the 3D map of the C-loop, look how nicely we see the pancreas and the duodenum and the interface, and you see the lesion present. Very, very obvious there. Or in these other images with a little bit of a flatter type MIP technique. Again, we're picking up smaller tumors. The tumor's there, and it's yours for the finding. But it's how you look at the images that allows you to be successful in making the diagnosis. Or in this case, we talk about small bowel tumors being missed. This was missed. Patient weight loss, symptoms. Look at the lesion. It's really near the ampulla it's under two centimeters or so but there it is it's so obvious with the enhancement but it's very obvious in 3d volume rendering it's not very obvious on the axial imaging and it was in a sense overlooked on those images and it can't be overlooked because here it's very obvious and here again a few more volume rendered images look how nicely you see the duodenal folds in the first to third portion of the duodenum even the fourth portion but look at that nodule now this could have been an ampullary tumor i guess but Regardless, it's a tumor, and whether it's ampullary or it's uh, duodenal, treatment is a Whipple's procedure and the same, but look how obvious the lesion is. Now, if we go beyond the bowel to the kidney, we talk about 3D mapping, volume rendering, and MIP, looking at a range of pathologies, including this case of a renal cell carcinoma. And we've spoken before how we're able to look at the tumor, look at the neovascularity that allows us to know it's a clear cell and not a papillary. Also use the information for partial nephrectomy. But it goes more than that. There's been a number of articles saying that that vascularity tells lots of additional information. So, for example, you can look in this image. Uh, and you can see from this article by Salk that imaging features at multiphasic CT correlate with the cytogenetic characteristics of clear cell renal cell carcinomas, which may affect patient prognosis and possibly help predict response to molecular target therapies. In that article, they found the genetic makeup of clear cells affects their imaging features, that MDCT really gives you that information. So, for example, clear cells with the loss of the y chromosome enhance more than those without the anomaly in male patients during the cortical medullary phase and that renal cells with trisomy 7 enhance less than those with disomy 7 during the cortical medullary phase at mdct examination so this is important information so now what we're showing is ct is giving us so much information it's a matter of using the information when you talk about kidneys, I'll also comment that extension of tumor, in this case into renal vein and up into IVC, arterial phase showing neovascularity and venous phase, better for defining the mass and extent into the intrahepatic IVC is nicely shown. Again, making the point about 3D mapping and its accuracy being one to one to what's found at surgery. You could look at this case of transitional cell carcinoma and see there's a mass in the left renal pelvis. Not a very difficult diagnosis, though at times it can be somewhat tricky, but look when you go to coronal, look how obvious the amputation of the upper pole calyx is. You see the dilated calyx of the upper pole, and if you just get a few other images, there is the amputation, the blunted calyx, classic transitional cell carcinoma, very nicely seen in this example. Now, this is not a very subtle case, and you saw it in the axial images, But what about this next case? Rule out TCC, hematuria, kidneys look good. Look at the ureters. They're opacified, excretory phase. Not very impressed. But look a little bit more carefully. On this one slice, when you look at the patient's left ureter, it appears to look like a crescent. And when you look at it one more, there it is as a circle or a donut. And I've circled it for you. Is that real? Well, look what happens when you put it in a coronal display. There's a filling defect about a centimeter in length in the left ureter, which is not obstructing the ureter. And you can see it again here very nicely. That's a transitional cell carcinoma. And it shows particularly well on the 3D volume rendered maps. Again, think about this case, how easy it is to miss this lesion. Very subtle on the 3D. If you hadn't seen it, actually, you'd pick it up here very nicely. Another example, very similar, hematuria, prostate cancer history. Look at the left ureter, it's not dilated, but I windowed it very widely and it almost looks like there's a donut, right? You can see that little donut there. Well, do you believe me? Well, look at this image in the coronal display. Look at that filling defect in the patient's ureter. That's a transitional cell carcinoma particularly well seen on the 3D maps. Again, making the point that you're not having obstruction. When you have obstruction of the ureter, it's very easy. You follow the transition, you say, aha, here's the obstruction, here's the mast, stone, whatever's going on. Here, it's very subtle, but in 3D mapping, it's very, very obvious. So in this sense, this is where 3D really helps. Now, this case does make the point. Sometimes you know you need 3D because you're not certain, but other times, Everything seems okay. Why do you need 3D? A critical point is often only until after the 3D is done do you recognize the critical information that it actually presents. So going back to our original concept, radiology asset management, we need to create the right data, the right protocols, delivering that information to the referring physician everywhere and anywhere on the right device at the point of care. It goes back to what we do best in radiology, this whole idea of personalized radiology, the right selection of the test for the individual patient, performing that test correctly, interpreting it correctly, and then delivering the information in whatever form with 3D imaging for patient management. Now, there are many reasons why 3D is not centered in radiology. Part is traditional. We never used it. There were never workstations, but now more and more that's changing. The iPad, which seems like came out 10 years ago, came out two years ago, and here's a picture with Steve introducing the iPad. On those devices now, you can create real time 3D images without image compromise. This information is available everywhere and anywhere to radiologists and referring physicians. It tends to present a strategic inflection point by providing visualization everywhere and Anywhere to the referring physician as well as to the radiologist. At Hopkins, now the surgeons carry around iPads and they can look at their information 24 7, 365. Post processing tools are now available to everybody. And then you might worry, and people have said this to me before what then is our role? Where our role is to be the master of this domain if we take charge. Actually, having people carry around information helps us because they have more questions. They realize the quality of the information. The worst thing for radiology is someone to only have a report and live off the report. If they're living off a report, that report can be coming from your reading room or a reading room 3,000 miles away. Now, a good way of looking at all of this, of course, in 3D, is let's say we can do it well, but if it doesn't make a difference, the Peter Drucker thing, there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. So we go back to that first question on 3D. Is it necessary? Is it really needed? Well, I think I've changed the first slide that depending on who you ask that it should not depend on who you ask. I think everyone needs to recognize its value, and the radiologists, as usual, are kind of bringing up the rare, but even they need to recognize what it's helpful for. Now, in saying this, just by a show of hands, the 10% people saying they use it, does make the point that I've been talking about 3D for a long time. Here's one of our first articles with Bob Drebin of Pixar, who's now with Apple, and Derek Nye, who was at Hopkins, and now Hip Graphics, talking about volume rendering as a new approach to 3D imaging that overcame many of the prior obstacles to imaging. We thought that was a major step forward, and four years later, in state-of-the-art in radiology. We spoke about development of innovative and compatible software packages to meet clinical needs and solve important imaging problems and the importance of a multidisciplinary approach, both within and outside of medicine. And we spoke about how 3D imaging was becoming a valuable tool for both diagnostic and therapeutic display of digital information. And we also Smartly concluded, this is 1991, 21 years ago. As we enter the 90s, we predict that one of the achievements of this decade will be the widespread diffusion of the technology into the medical community. Well, we were not exactly perfectly correct. There was increased diffusion, but one cannot say that everybody was doing it, and that's by 2000, let alone 2012. Five, you know, a number of years later, 2006, I said that radiologists must embrace this paradigm shift from traditional slices to primary 3D volume visualization in order to efficiently and comprehensively review large data sets and ultimately improve patient care we predict that within a few years 3D CT imaging will no longer be a specialized study done on select patients but will be part of routine cases as well Now that was only six years ago I hold by that prediction I'm just maybe a little bit early in seeing its fruition and I will tell you what I tell many people You can think about it, you can give reasons why you don't want to do it. I know we're all busy, it takes a little bit longer, though when you get fast at it, it doesn't add much time. Impacts patient care, impacts your referral patterns. Very positive for practice. So the best thing I could say to you and the easiest recommendation I have is what Nike says, and just do it. And with that, hopefully uh, this provided some additional important information to you. And we look forward to hearing you and seeing you on CTSUS. And with that, have a great day.